Every year in the NFL, it's a new team. As far as goals go, we have one. Putting a fucking ring on our finger. Welcome to the Buccaneers Observer Podcast. This is Ralph Phillips. I'm Molly Beck. Today is May 2nd, 2019. 126 days to kick off. We got some good coaches interviews today and yesterday. Yes, we do. A whole bunch of stuff. Seems like with having such a large coaching staff, we are going to get a lot of coaching interviews. It was like two hours worth yesterday and two hours worth today. I couldn't even get through all of it. I got through like four interviews. Yeah, so we're going to discuss some of that. But before we do, let's get to some fact checks and follow-ups. Fact check. I wanted to put this out there. I had said that Bruce Aaron's offense, they don't normally keep a running back or tight ends in to help block. They do. I went back and looked at some of the Arizona Cardinals games when he was head coaches. They pretty much run the same offense that Cutter did. The only difference being from what I could tell so far, I haven't charted everything out exactly, but he has more underneath routes than Cutter did. Cutter was more vertical with his stuff. He would always have three or four wide receivers going 15 yards deep at least. Arians has more. He, he does like a ladder thing where he has a receiver that's you know a couple yards off the ball, off the line of scrimmage, and another receiver that's about three to five yards, and then 10, 15 yards, and he's got a receiver going deep. Actually, it seems like he's got two that kind of go deep, but that's the general sense I've been getting watching his plays. I want to pick a few random games throughout the different seasons that he was a head coach and chart them out and see exactly how much different they were than Cutter's. Like to see how he's developed? No, just to see how different it was from Cutter. Because they really are the same offense. I did think that Bruce Aarons didn't keep the running backs in and the tight ends as much as Cutter did. But from what I viewed last night, it's about the same. And he likes those pass-catching running backs, too. Yes. Well, so did Cutter. So they're doing the same thing. Right. Well, you know, that's what I said when Cutter got fired. I was extremely... I was sad at first because I was like, well, there goes our offense. You know, because we this is the most prolific offense we've ever had as Buccaneers. And when he was gone, I was like, well, we're probably going to get a defensive-minded coach or something like that. And we're going to go back to, you know, running three straight times and then punting it. But... <laughs> As soon as we hired Arians, I was like, yes, he's the only coach out there that runs the same system the cutter does, but better. So I was excited about that. But yeah, he keeps his running backs and tight ends in just as much, I would say, just from what I can tell. That's good news for Peyton Barber and OJ and Cameron Bright. Peyton Barber's a good blocker. What do you think they're going to do with Andre Ellington? You think he's going to make the team? Yeah. Well, we're going to keep four or five running backs. Right. So. Good stable of them. Yeah. Mike Evans has a bowling event in Augieland coming up. Aggieland? Is it? I Aggie? think it's Aggie. Did, what did I say? Augie? Yeah. Oops. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> for all you, for all you Augie fans out there. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Aggieland. Yes, uh, it's 18 days from now, which is going to mean it's on May 18th. So that's not 18 days from now. What's that? 16 days? It's a celebrity bowling event. It's in College Station. It's going to benefit the foundation, Mike Evans' family. Uh, Confirmed guests so far are Johnny Manziel, Demontre Moore, and Ryan Swoop. Johnny Football. He's probably got a lot of time on his hands now, huh? (laughs) Yeah. See, he can't play in the Canadian Football League. The AAF is done. Ain't nobody on the NFL going to get him. He's got a lot of time for bowling. Remember how upset or how much... Joe Buccaneers fan pushed Johnny Manziel. They wanted him so bad. You know, and after the meltdown, after the draft, a <laughs> lot of people in the comment of their articles were like, whatever happened to Johnny football? And that was shoved <laughs> down our throat for a year. Yeah, that's funny. 
You never know. You know, and that's something we were we were talking about too about draft and how hit and miss it is and everything. I pulled up the 2018 who won an article on NFL.com. It's which team won the 2018 NFL draft? They said the Broncos, the Bears, and the Giants lead the pack. So none of those made it to the Super Bowl. I mean, well, well to the Super Bowl, but playoffs only the Bears did, right? Yeah. So they picked uh, six teams: the Ravens, the Broncos, the Bears, the Bucks. The Packers and the Giants, these are the ones they said won the draft last year, 2018. Of those six teams, only two of them ended up with winning records. Oh, my God. And they both went to the playoffs but got knocked out pretty quick. The The Ravens in 2017 had a 9-7 record, and in 2018 they had a 10-6 record. So they advanced by one game. Okay. Broncos had 5-11, and 11, and they ended up in 2018 going 6-10. So they got a game too. A slight improvement. The Bears, they did the best overall. They went from five and eleven to twelve and four. So that's a seven game swing. The Bucks, however, as we all know, went five and eleven in two thousand seventeen and five and eleven in two thousand eighteen. The Packers went seven and nine in two thousand seventeen, but six and nine and one in two thousand eighteen. So they so it didn't help at all. They lost a game. Yeah. And the Giants <laughs> were three and thirteen in two thousand seventeen. They moved up two games to five and eleven. That was kind of a low bar. Kind of a low bar there. So winning a draft does not necessarily mean you're going to have a good football team the next year. What can seven guys really do? Yeah, every now and then you're going to get a guy that could really push your team over the top. But your team's got to be on the brink. Nearly there. Yes. The Giants did have Saquon Barkley. Yeah, well, I mean, they had Saquon Barkley, OBJ, Eli Manning. I see they got rid of Eli Apple last year. Was he yeah, in the middle of the season, I think. Yeah, Traded and then to Collins, the safety, he's gone. Was that last year or this year? I think. I think that was this year, offseason. Yeah, it might have been. Anyhow, the Giants are a mess. That's my point. They could win all kinds of drafts. I don't think it's going to help them for a while. They got their new Duke quarterback, though. That's right. <laughs> they won that draft. Yeah. Oh, but see, that's the thing. You never know. You, you just never don't know. know. And all the commentators, they're there to fill time, just like we are. Yeah, that's why when it was draft night, and I saw it was 10 minutes between each draft, which I don't know where I got that it was four minutes. I must have really been drunk at every draft for the past 30 years. I'm sitting there going, oh, man, i got to listen to these people talk for 10 minutes between each draft pick. It was Really, miserable. it just gave you 10 minutes to talk between each draft pick. Well, it's better than <laughs> listening to them. We did have Peter Report's live feed on, though, so yeah. we switched back and forth between the NFL channel, their talking heads, Peter Report's talking heads, and then my talking head. Yeah. I think your talking head got more time. <laughs> my talking head was drunk. <laughs> hey, ESPN announced that Joe Tessitore is going to be the play-by-play guy, and Booger McFarlane, old Tampa Bay Buccaneer defensive lineman, is going to be an analyst in the booth. They're not going to have him on the booger cart this oh, year. God. That was such a mess. Like, fans were pissed oh, in the yeah. stadium because he blocked everything. He had to get, like, a clear screen behind him. Yes, they did not think that through. No. There was so he was, many... like, on a scissor lift, right, yeah. basically, that would, like, he had control of. He could drive yeah. around the sideline. How many people did he run over with that is what I want to know. <laughs> but he, they, there were so many pictures on Twitter and Instagram and all that. People in the stands with Booger's Booger cart blocking a big play. They would take a picture, and you could see where you know somebody was getting ready to make a big catch, and you couldn't see it because Booger's cart was right in their way. So good for him. Well, Lisa Salters is going to be the sideline reporter now. So. so it used to be John Gruden and Mike Tirico on ESPN, right? Yes. This is Monday Night Football. Monday Night Football. And then 
John Gruden went to the Raiders, and then it was still Mike Tirico, right? Mad. You know, I can't remember. I know. What happened? I do and remember Witten. Booker being there last year. No, Witten was at Ian. Uh, he was on Fox. Fox. He was. Okay. Discount Tony so, Romo. So who did we lose on Monday Night Football? I don't know. That's a fact check. I'm going to fact check it right now. Hold on. Enhance. <laughs> Enhance. No, it's Jason Witten. Jason Witten was a Monday Night Football guy. Okay. So, congratulations to Booger. Oh, because Jason Witten unretired from the NFL. He's right. coming back. Okay. And if you want to find out what's going on on the, the women's coaching side, go check out Jenna Lane's tweet, Twitter. And can... I saw this tweet, and I knew it was going to piss you off immediately when I saw it. <laughs> and, and you can find out who are her friends are. Sarah Barbershop, Kat Terrell, Courtney <laughs> Cronin, and Lindsay Thurry. Bars Hop, not Barbershop. <laughs> oh, it's Bars Hop. <laughs> I gotta stop drinking. Uh, apparently, they have a good fellowship and group chats. I don't know. Good football stuff there, though. Uh, why do we even follow her on Twitter? Like, I feel like it just makes you mad. That's why I follow her on Twitter. That's like why do some people listen to Howard Stern when they why can't stand him? Why do people him? follow Donald Trump on Twitter? Right, because yeah. Because they like to be angry. Probably ninety percent of the people that follow him <laughs> just hate him. <laughs> But yeah, I was looking at Jenna. She does ESPN. She's a writer for ESPN. She used to be a writer for Pewter Report for a short period, if I'm remembering that correctly. She did Tampa Bay Sports for a while. But now she's at ESPN. And I went and I looked up all her articles over the past two years. And she said, I, I mean, I want that job. How many does she put out a week? She must be on TV. Now, we don't watch ESPN. No. So she's, maybe she's on ESPN a lot. That's what I'm thinking. Maybe. Don't know. Not a lot of articles there, though. Not a lot of substance. She's at all the press conferences and asking questions. Yeah, pissing Dirk Cutter off. <laughs> I wonder who she's going to... He's not there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, when he was... She I did just... irritate Jameis a couple weeks that, ago. Yeah, that's right. I don't know. Something, something going on there. You know, I had talked about... Let's change subject here. Okay. I don't, don't want to bash Jenna... All day. All day. The uniform change. You know, we've been talking about this. And they did a fan survey. It was like 5,000 fans across the nation. They asked them to rank the uniforms of the NFL teams. And Buccaneers came in dead last. It wasn't even close. I kind of agree with them. And I hate to say that because it's my team. You know, I just don't like talking negative about the team. But those numbers are just atrocious. I mean, they're just bad. Anyhow, I wanted to bring up that I've said I love the logo, love the helmet. I really do. Love them. Love them. But I love the word mark. The new Buccaneers word mark? Yeah, they had Cutter wore this shirt all the time with just the word mark. It was like a gray one. And the red was a little deeper red. Yeah, they changed the color to it. Yeah, and it was a really cool short shirt. Ralph actually liked it, and his mom bought it, bought one for him. He wears it all the time. Yeah, I wore it draft night. Yeah. It's I, a cool shirt. It is cool. I, had, I like the watermark. I had a jersey on, but then I was like, you know what? I feel like supporting the coaches. So Bruce Arians had wore that same shirt in his press conference the night before. Oh, he did. Yeah. So I was like, hey, you know, I'm going to be Bruce Arians tonight. <laughs> we need the Kangol. I need one of those. Yeah, you do. You look good in hats. I do. But I think the word mark is just absolutely beautiful. I think it's a, it's a piece of art. Yeah. I really do. I wouldn't mind getting a tattoo of it. 
It just looks nice to me. So the new colors are up. They're fine. The word mark is beautiful. The helmet is beautiful. The new I logo. love the helmet. I love the chrome face mask. Yes. And I love the new logo. It's big and they got rid of the comb over on the skull. And the... I never noticed that until you said it. You say that every time. I know. It. And it, it just looks more fierce and intimidating and all that. So really, I, it's just the numbers. I saw somebody on Twitter. I don't even know what it was or who it was, but they tweeted, I guess their cubicle at work, and it was completely decked out with buckets stuff like i couldn't even really tell it was a cubicle i had to really look at it <laughs> it's like a, a buccaneer's hoarder yeah hoarder house it would be like you if you didn't have all your buccaneer stuff in boxes yeah. in the attic we just moved but he had an old flag near a new flag and you can really see the comparison between the two. Oh, we should do that yeah yeah and the new one just doesn't even i mean the old one doesn't even compare yes and i hated the old buccaneers word mark too it was just ugly font yeah and it looked too it's a, like they tried too hard it didn't age well i don't think it's a no, little it outdated yeah look like, like clip art yeah so peyton barber's getting his diploma he will get it this weekend graduate from auburn he's getting his degree in interdisciplinary studies what is that well i hope it's not intersectional studies <laughs> It's interdisciplinary studies. I think that's like he can teach a bunch of stuff. A gen ed degree. Yeah. I don't know. But good for him. Especially staying with it in the NFL. That's a, a pretty big task. Yeah. When did he finish it up? I mean, when was he able? Did he, Was it this offseason? It must have been. Okay. Interdisciplinary studies involves a combining of two or more academic disciplines into one activity, such as a research project. It is about creating something new by crossing boundaries and thinking across them. Okay. It, it doesn't tell me anything. No. <laughs> You're like nodding your head. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. I understand that. I, I knew that. some of those words. So good for him. That's really exciting. So we're like congratulating him, but then knocking his degree. We just, we're, we sound ignorant because we don't know what it is. <laughs> I mean, it might be an awesome degree. We're trying to make ourselves feel better for being yeah, young. Right. <laughs> <laughs> He's young too. How, how old is he? Early 20, like maybe 24, 23, 24. Anything under 40 is young to me. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel too. He's, like, a, he's, he's a, a Yeah, exactly. He's Get off my lawn. Well, I follow him on Instagram and it was his girlfriend's birthday at one point And he's like, yeah, it's the big 23. And I'm like, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, get used to it. The rest of your life. He's 24 years old. 24. Born 1994. What? Actually, that's funny because that was my, at 7-Eleven today, when I bought beer and cigarettes, it came up to 1994, and I said, that's a good year. Year that we got Peyton Barber. Year we got Peyton Barber. <laughs> July, June 27th. Tiki and Rhonda are both 44 years old. Ugh. Came up on Google. How crazy is I that? I know. Man, time flies. They'll qualify for AARP <laughs> in 11 years. <laughs> <laughs> So the press conferences were very interesting, I thought. They, we had pretty much every coach, every assistant coach was up to date. The offense was like yesterday. 30. Yeah, I know. We had Todd Bowles was yesterday. Cody Grimm was yesterday. The Lori Locust, is that her name? Yeah. Is that how we pronounce it? Locust? She was yesterday. Bowles was funny because you could tell he's been a head coach before and he does not like talking to the media. Oh, kind of like Lovey? Yes. He, lovey? he got annoyed like immediately. <laughs> was doing his like eye rolling stuff. And, well, they kept asking him about it. Basically, do the 
guys on the defense now are they not good enough? Is that why we had to draft? You know, why we had to draft a bunch of defensive guys? And Todd Bowles was just rolling his eyes. He's like, "Come on, you know, we haven't had a chance to evaluate these guys yet. Seen them practice. Calm down." I didn't say that, but that was his attitude. <laughs> so that was interesting. But Cody Grimm was neat. He looks, and he looks like he's twelve years old. I don't know if anybody remembers. He used to play uh, safety for us. Uh, he came in and played when. I think when Raheem was here. Somebody got hurt. He was a backup. Somebody got hurt, and he came in and played out the rest of the season. Did pretty good, I thought. I remember he was injury-prone. Yeah, and he ended up getting hurt. So he left after only playing like two or three years with the Bucks, and he retired. Oh, I saw that was a cool name, though, Grim. Yeah, it was really cool. And actually, we talked about this in the episode where I went through all the coaching staff, but his dad, Russ Grimm, is a Hall of Fame offensive lineman who played for the Redskins, and he played with Todd Bowles on that Super Bowl team. And Russ coached at Pittsburgh with B.A., so there's a connection there between Cody's dad and B.A. And I think that Cody talked about it in the press conference. I thought I saw it in some of the news articles. I didn't watch that one. Yeah, I watched that one, and I didn't take notes. Molly's got all kinds of she, – she took great notes on all the rest of the ones today. Not all of them I watched for, just to be – Oh, I thought you got through all of them. To be frank. We'll finish that. No, up. they're really long. Yeah, they're all like 15, 20 minutes piece. Yeah. So what we'll do is we'll do these four, and then we'll do the rest of them in the next podcast Sunday. You're going to make me watch all the rest of them? Yep. Okay. You take good notes. Okay. Yeah, so Harold Godwin, Goodwin. Yeah, I watched that one. I watched... And what is he exactly? For he, everybody out there that doesn't know. He's the running game coordinator. Okay. That's a totally new position as far as I'm concerned. Correct. Never, never heard so of So him and Byron are kind of like... Byron's technically the offensive coordinator, but Byron does the passing game coordinator, and then Harold does the run game coordinator. And Harold was BA's offensive coordinator at Arizona. Okay. Okay. But and then we have an offensive line coach too. Yeah, I think that's Gilbert. And so I would imagine Harold Goodwin works with him quite a bit. Yeah, and actually Harold was talking about the offensive line a lot. So I think he's probably more heavily involved with offensive line than, say, Byron is. He was interesting. He's a little gruff, Harold. And he did say stuff like they haven't gotten in pads yet because of the stupid rules in the CBA that they have to deal with. (laughs) Which, again, he's probably getting a strongly worded letter that will be sent out at the same time as BA's. (laughs) He also said Pro Bowl voting is a sham. This is true. The guy speaks truth so far. Interesting. He called Earl Wadford a Swiss Army knife. Like, he can do everything. I'm really liking this Earl Wadford. I do, too. Did you see where he tweeted today? said the trip to London, he needs to find a list of artists to go check out. Apparently, he's big into art. I don't know. That's something I've gathered just across the league and reading the quarterback whisperer. B.A. doesn't bring on no dummies. He likes smart football players. Huh, interesting. Yeah. Well, we've got a, somebody that's got a degree in interdisciplinary studies, so. <laughs> Maybe he's football smart. He's football smart, probably. You yeah. know, we're knocking that, but it's a pretty legitimate degree. Okay. I mean, I'm not knocking it. You're knocking it. No, you're not. I didn't it. say anything. <laughs> this was crazy. So we haven't really heard from Evan Smith, and we kind of joked him last podcast a little bit, but Harold Goodwin said that 
Evan Smith is kind of like his translator because there's a lot of overlap between what we did last season and what they're doing this season. And so Evan Smith will say, hey, Goody, that's what he called him. Hey, Goody, we called this this last year. So oh. he can kind of help the coaches yeah. in translating. And, you know, I wonder if that's why he's still on the roster. He's that veteran presence that maybe they like. I don't know. We've never really had an attachment to him because, one, he really didn't perform up to par. He really pissed me off when we went to Green Bay one game and they showed him walking in and there were some Green Bay fans and he said, go pack. Yeah. That kind of pissed me off. That's not. Did yes. not sit well with me ever since then. Yeah. Basically. He used to play for Green Bay. So. Yeah. He was drafted by them. Yeah, but that's no excuse. You do not walk into the opposing team's stadium and root for them. That's right. <laughs> so, but apparently, you know, he's working with the coaching staff and he's a good player to have there. He's recovering from hip surgery. He had surgery on both hips. Did you know that? I had no idea. I did not either. Wow. I know. For me, I was like, how are we just hearing about this? He was on IR last season. From the hip surgery? I guess so. Apparently. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It is so weird. Like, the things that you hear about, and you're like, how is no one reporting on this? This is the first we're ever hearing about. That's something Jenna Lane could be doing. I guess so. I don't know. She's in her group chat. She's busy. (laughs) Oh, we're going to get some angry, angry emails from all the, <laughs> the Gentleland supporters. When asked about leadership on the line, whether they want kind of a few different types of leaders on the offensive line, or do they want one leader, Harold Goodwin said unequivocally they want one head of household. Really? And then maybe a couple guys behind them, but they do want that one presence. So it hasn't really emerged yet. They don't know who it's going to be, but he said, you know, Allie's kind of got it. Ryan's kind of got it. I thought Marpet was more of a quiet guy. I think so, too. So I think that's why he hasn't necessarily emerged. Could be Earl Watford. Yeah, it sounds like it. It's not Dotson. It was funny. Dotson's there. He's participating. He's learning the new system, just like everybody else. They said he still moves well, even though he's kind of an old guy in football years, (laughs) which is funny. And But they said he doesn't smile much. He's very serious. Well, all the local media guys love him because they say that he just talks all the time. He doesn't, or that he doesn't hold back. Yeah. Well, we saw that at the end of last season when he said, I ain't worried about Dirk's job. I'm worried about my job. That was awesome. (laughs) Um, They also asked about Kappa. Is he going to make a play for left tackle? Um, And Goodwin said, well, we're paying Donovan a crap ton of money, so I don't think Kappa's going to make a play for that position, but probably left guard. I mean, right guard. <laughs> well, this guy speaks some truth. Yeah, right? I appreciate the honesty. He also said that Jameis is kind of a bossy leader, which I've never heard this about him before. Have you ever heard anyone saying that about Jameis? To mm-hmm. me, I didn't. Re- I've never seen the leadership quality with him because he's kind of goofy a little bit and his press conferences are a little more polished but it's still you don't get like commanding leadership out of it like you would like a Peyton Manning right yeah I see what you're saying but apparently Janus went into the huddle and said this is my huddle everyone shut the hell up dang I know which is like I don't know if that's a new Janus or that's always how Janus has been but we've never heard about it wow I like it though yeah you need a commander yeah, well, you don't want a jerk, but I, hey, you know what? I don't care. If we win, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. He could be out there putting babies on spikes. It wouldn't matter to me. 
I listened to the other press conferences. I will say I listened to Byron and I really like him. Yes, I liked him too. He's got a lot of personality. And actually, he's not the only one. Like, Harold Goodwin did, too. Mm-hmm. Antoine Randall-L did. Yeah, Amos yeah, Jones. randall really surprised me. He was quite vociferous and genuine. Yeah. You got some good information out of him. He, he was actually really relatable. I mean, he's talking about his kids. He's got seven kids. Creating an army. <laughs> I know. Him and Philip Rivers' kids could all team up. <laughs> <laughs> With Byron, again, it's it's kind of like with Antoine Raynaud, like they were really down to earth and had a lot of character and personality. It is such a difference from Dirk Cutter's regime, where they're yeah. all clipboard carriers, clipboard, like you call it. Sterile. You know, very sterile, no information. I think the most information we ever got out of Dirk Cutter was that him and Marvin Lewis had some background there, mm-hmm. and yeah. there were some stories about the, and them knowing each other, and Marvin introducing Dirk to his future wife and all that. So these guys, it's like you're getting a lot of information and you're getting to know your coaches. And I'm really excited about this coaching stuff. And I kind of had an epiphany listening to all these guys. And we keep talking about a culture change. And what does that really mean? I don't know. We've always said there's something wrong with the culture, but I don't know what it is. And I kind of a vague, it's a vague thing. And unless you're in it, you're never really going to know. I think the team has never had a common cause. I think that's what it is. It's not, none of the players have really had an allegiance to the Buccaneers. Like we saw with Quan, like we saw with Deshaun Jackson, like we saw with Ryan Fitzgerald. You move on to the next team. It's a business. If you have to leave, you got to leave. Adam Humphreys, that's another one. It just doesn't seem like loyalty and all that stuff is pushed in the NFL anymore. As a matter of fact, it's kind of laughed at. Exactly. And they celebrate, oh, you go and get yours and that's fine. So... The Buccaneers, there's no common cause there. Like, it's not the team that's going to motivate them all to perform together. And what you heard from Harold Goodwin, from Antoine, from Byron, is relationships. They're talking about all their relationships with each other, with the players, especially Byron. Byron said, I want Jameis to give me complete and total honesty. Tell me what he's thinking. I need to know how he thinks and how he works so I can call plays effectively for him. Yes, he went on about that for a long time. He said, I don't care if you're, what you tell me as long as you tell me the truth. Exactly. And it was actually when I was watching Byron and him talking about this that it just kind of hit me that the team has never had a common cause. They had, they've had they never had anything to win for. Mm-hmm. And Bruce Arians, like we saw when he was at Indianapolis and Chuck Pagano goes out with cancer, and that team had something to fight for. Right. And so what I think that they're building here with this culture and with the veteran leaders and everything that they're trying to do, they're trying to make the team fight for each other. Yes. That's what they're doing. That's the culture change. That's what they're trying to create. So they're going to make it like a big family where everybody's family. accountable exactly. to each other and they they care about each other. Exactly. It's not chemistry. It's caring. Exactly. And so when you have something to fight for that's bigger than yourself. It gives you it, purpose. It gives you purpose. Exactly. Interesting. Good Good analysis there, Molly. And actually, now that you say purpose, I'm glad that you said that because Clyde Christensen, which, you know, 
he was on the team when you were a fan, first a fan, right? Yeah, back he was a quarterback coach, yeah. and they ran him out of town. Mm-hmm. I really like him too. That's the first exposure I've ever had to him. But he said that. Jameis is a workaholic. Like, he's there from 5 to 5, and they actually have had instances where they've had to kick him out. And you're going to love this. Clyde was like, I don't want you working just to be working. He said, I want efficiency, which Ralph loves being efficiency. That's his life motto. That's how he, he gets so irritated things are not efficient. But he said, Jameis needs to work efficiently. He needs to have a purpose and a reason for what he's doing. Like, why are you here until five? Why are you staying too late? If it's just for the sake of working, leave. That's not productive. And so that was very interesting. That was a good... Have a purpose. Exactly. Interesting. So I feel like they're building relationships here. And Byron actually said that in his press conference was that they're... Building friendships. That's incredible because it's the exact opposite of Cutter and his crew. They were so standoffish. I know. And that's what I was thinking about, too, was it's just a total change. And they were, they relied on the scheme. Yes. And this one, this regime, there's no scheme. The scheme is the players. Yeah, because the quarterback gets to pick the first 15 plays out of 30 Mm -hmm. that are scripted. That's half the... That's the first half. I've, I've sat and counted them out. Every game I've watched, I'll, I will count the first 30 plays, and it's usually into the third quarter a little bit. It's right around, you know, it's right around halftime is when 30 plays is over with. So basically, the quarterback gets to pick half of the first 30 plays, you know, a quarter's worth of plays the quarterback gets to pick. So Arians is putting responsibility and getting the quarterback involved into the actual game planning. And he said that he does that in the book. He really wants the quarterback to have a large say in the actual game plan itself. You're right. It seems like they're building a team that is not just coming in and doing a job. They're coming in, they're being a family, they're being a relationship, they're having a common purpose together. They're all accountable to each other, and they're all involved in the actual... I mean, Arian says straight off the bat, this isn't my team, this is your team. We will go as far as you want this team to go. He puts all all of it right on them. Exactly. And... It's interesting. I don't, this whole, I just. It's so totally new. It is. And I'm like, I like it. And I'm wondering, you know. You know, Donji came in and he had real strong relationships with most of his players. And still to this day, you know, he has really strong relationships with all the guys he's ever coached. And they fought for him. You know, our defense fought for Tony Donji. They would tell you that all the time. You know, we're fighting for Tony. We're fighting for Donji, Coach Donji. So. It was, you know, it wasn't that they were out there doing a job, or they were following the plan, or they were going for a Super Bowl. You know, those weren't his, their goals. Their goal was to basically make Dungy look good and make him proud. And so, this is kind of that same thing, but it's not about Bruce Arians. It's about everybody. Yeah, it's about each other. And Antoine Randall L. played under Bruce Arians at Pittsburgh, right. and he talked in his press conference today about how much history all the coaches have together they all go way back and he actually took time to sit down with all the different coaches to learn about their history and their connections and i it actually caused me to retweet the articles i wrote about the coaching staff and their background because it really lays all that out there but that's exactly what he said as a coach you know in order to succeed you've got to have that networking in the background and make connections with other coaches. And so I think that's a running theme through this coaching staff. That's interesting. Well, we know none of them are going to get fired. That's right. He said, I'm never firing an assistant. I'll move them. I'm not firing them. He 
his motto. Oh man, Buccaneer fans are gonna have such a hard time with yeah. that. Yeah, especially it, the the outlets that really bang the drum for firings. Mm-hmm. It's just gonna piss them off because up until now they've always had so much power. Yeah, in that respect, because we basically had every coach that's been fired that drama has kind of been started in the media yes and they did it with mike smith they've done it with all kinds of assistants you know oh this guy needs to go he sucks he sucks he sucks and next thing you know he's fired yeah that's not gonna happen with bruce no (laughs) which i love yeah because again loyalty again that it's that purpose bigger than yourself Mm -hmm. and look at ba's he still holds it against Mike Tomlin. He sure does. Yes. He, he basically fired, got fired by Mike Tomlin. Right. After working, he was there for six years. Seven, a while. A long time. A long time, yeah. yeah. Took him to two, two Super Bowls. Two Super Bowls. But look at BA's mantra. It's trust, loyalty, and respect. What do those have to do with football? Nothing. Nothing. It's about relationships. Yeah. It's about each other. Interesting. So I think that's what they're talking about when they're talking about culture. Well, I'm excited. I do. It was just kind of an epiphany. Even I watched, um, I don't know how to say his name. I'm totally butchering it. He's one of the special teams assistants, Chris Biniel. He was a kicker at Dallas. He coached Dan Bailey. So he's the one working with the kickers. And he actually had a clip where he's talking about relationships. and they, The kicker? The kicker. The kicking coach is the talking kicking about relationships. Coach. And I think it was one of the Joes. I can't recall if it was Steve or Lee. But they asked him... About when you bring in competition with the kickers, like, are they competing against each other or what's going on? And Chris said, they're not, they're competing against a standard. They're not competing against each other. Here's the standard. Whoever meets it, that's who's going to get the job, basically. So again, that's the relationships. Like you don't pit them against each other. That's smart. Exactly. And so. I think that's important, too, with, like, the quarterbacks. So we have Blaine and Jameis and Ryan Griffin. It's kind of the same thing. Yeah, they're not competing against each other. Right. Yeah, that's why he got rid of Fitzpatrick, because he didn't want Jameis to feel like they were competing. Exactly. I think so, too. And Byron said that Blaine and Jameis are really hitting it off really well. And Bruce Arians talked about this in Quarterback Whisper, where he said he likes to bring in a veteran quarterback that knows his system that can be a backup and serve as a resource for the starting quarterback. Yes, because they will ask each other questions before they'll ask a coach question. Exactly. Exactly. So, and Byron, this is a little off topic. He said that he believes in this locker room. Interesting. Yeah. Got a culture change coming to this place. Culture, I think so too. Finally. I know. And just another tidbit about Byron is he was asked about Josh Rosen with the Cardinals who got traded to Miami because, of course, he was at Arizona last season with Josh Rosen where Josh was a rookie and they had drafted him. And he said, obviously, he doesn't want to comment on a player in particular. He knows Josh. He's a good person, good quarterback, all that stuff. But it was really empathetic the way that he talked about the situation. He said, you know, we bring in these we draft these quarterbacks, and they're rookies, and they're young. I mean, sometimes they're as young as 19, 20, 21 years old. Yeah, look at Jameis. He was, what, 20? Exactly. And you come in, and you bring them into a team where you put a franchise on their shoulders. And that's so much pressure, and there's so much that you can throw at them that can just totally ruin their career before it even really gets started. And it was just a lot of empathy. You know, Byron was a quarterback in the league for a while. Yeah, he and played so, with us. Exactly. He played at Pittsburgh with B.A. And he's seen a lot of that. So it's just an interesting perspective that I think he can offer to other quarterbacks. 
but just a really empathetic approach where you know you're actually considering the person not just oh this is our quarterback if he doesn't take us as far as we want to go he's got to go Jameis Winston was 21 years old when he was drafted. I mean, so young. That's crazy. I know. Can you imagine being 21? Yeah. Or just now could drink. No. Uh -uh. I was really, really stupid and dumb when I was 21. Exactly. So that was my epiphany for the day. It's a good one. We're going to have to keep an eye on that. It was really good. Yeah. And these coaches, this coaching staff just has so much personality. They're fun to watch. And you're like, you get some information out of them. Huh. Good. Been a lot of times since we've had some good press conferences. And you can tell that they care about the players. Caring, not chemistry. Exactly. Now, like, you know, I mean, Dirk Cutter, he was so sterile. Very. Yeah. Before that, lovey. Yeah. Even worse. Yeah, yeah so uh, that's, that's exciting. I'm excited about that Earl Wadford. I think he's probably going to be our starting right guard, it sounds like. Yeah, I think so. Sounds like he's kind of making a presence for himself. Yeah, and he wants it. Definitely. That Twitter. That Twitter. What do you say? Jameis Winston saying, this is my huddle. Everyone shut the hell up. <laughs> Pro Bowl voting is a sham. He said, there's a reason why I'm here. It'd be a waste of time to sign me if I wasn't going to work and do the job I'm paid to do at the highest level. Could have drafted or signed 10 guys. Competition is fun, and I like taking jobs. Boom. Boom. That's Love our right it. guard, everybody. He he was at Arizona with Bruce Arians. Yeah, I think they drafted him. Yes. He was a backup, I'm pretty sure. Probably. Might have been behind Ted Larson. Although I think Ted Larson might have been their center. All right, well, that's going to wrap up our podcast for today. We are going to try and get the rest of the press conferences watched and have Molly take notes because she does a really good job at it. If you want to get in touch with us, you can reach me at mollybay at buccaneersobserver.com. Ralph's email is ralph at buccaneersobserver.com. We're on Twitter at Bucks underscore Observer. And you can check out our website at BuccaneersObserver.com. Until next time. Go Bucks.